and uh, well, I guess yeah. Well, I uh, we. Okay, that's. I, I, I don't know what. <laughs> where, where, where are you going? Where are you going with this? <laughs> I went about three different directions and ended up choosing none of them. Like mentally, I had several options that I almost took, and in the end, I just circled in the cul-de-sac. Um, <laughs> okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And this week we are talking about Leslie Nope and Ron Swanson from the sitcom Parks and Recreation. I can't even hear you say the name Ron Swanson without getting a smile on my face. It was really hard uh, to say it without like, shifting into a Ron Swanson impression. Kind of a, <laughs> a really gravelly, slow delivery. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Uh, this was suggested by listener Kaylee. Thank you, Kaylee, for suggesting this. Uh, and I will say thank you for suggesting it because I don't know that I would have watched it without a listener suggestion because twice in my life I have tried to watch the first season of Parks and Rec and bailed out like three or four episodes in because the first season is not good. <laughs> it's... It's not funny, it's not enjoyable, it's hardly watched. But uh, in preparation for this, I used the website Graph TV, which shows you like user ratings on IMDb for every episode of a TV series. We've used it more than once to choose what episodes we're going to talk about. And on that site, you see how poorly regarded the first season of Parks and Rec <laughs> is compared to the rest of the series. It's it's like... Uh, I think... It, I think- Every episode of the first season is below the lowest rank of any other season. Uh, yeah, from any other season. And it's an immediate jump up uh, as far as user ratings in season two. And having watched the episodes we watched for this episode of this podcast, I got to say, those were much higher comedic quality than anything from the first season. The- I, think I, tried to, I think I tried to start watching it once as well and had the same experience. And this is the first that I've uh, watched since then. So the The first season is wonderfully short at six episodes yes so so it is only a two-hour slog now okay we've just revealed our hands that i have never watched anything other than most of the first season and the two episodes we are watching for this discussion today todd you are in a similar situation our producer andrew who has been jumping in a couple times he's gonna jump in more because he has watched the entire series is that correct uh, at least once i think i did watch it twice but i'm not sure like a background binge um oh, well i i enjoyed pretty much all of it as a background binge when i was moving um apartments mm-hmm. at one point i it was what i had on while packing and unpacking and um transitioning yeah so it was a wonderful comfort <laughs> throughout that process <laughs> once i got to the second season it was it was a really good um background binge i was able to enjoy i think pretty much all the comedy it's not a lot of visual comedy for the most part um, you, you hear the jokes yep. and it was, it was a great way to enjoy it was, was while moving, um, and a distraction from the trauma of moving. <laughs> so listeners, if you are not familiar with parks and recreation, which I usually hear referred to as parks and rec. So that's probably how I'm going to talk about it. Uh, this is a mockumentary style comedy about the small town government of Pawnee, Indiana. Leslie Nope was played by Amy Poehler and Ron Swanson by Nick Offerman. 
And we're going to be talking about two episodes. One is called Flu Season. That is the second episode of the third season. And that was written by Norm Hiscock and directed by Wendy Stanzler. And we're also going to be talking about Ron and Tammy's, which is the second episode of season four. And that was also written by Norm Hiscock. And that one was directed by Randall Einhorn. Um, now this is a, it's kind of a large cast for a sitcom. Uh, and a lot of the, the actors and actresses, I think, uh, has some name recognition and uh-huh. I've not watched enough episodes to remember all of the character names. So producer Andrew, help us out. If I'm forgetting the character names and ever referred to like the Rob Lowe character as the Rob Lowe character, mm-hmm. Chris Traeger. Thank you. It's easy to remember because he always introduces himself with full name and he always addresses everyone with full name. Uh, <laughs> I had, I just realized I that he did that uh, when he's talking to Ann Ann Perkins <laughs> Ann Perkins. Perkins. today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash protagonist where over 180,000 titles await for you to choose from for your iphone android kindle or if you're going old school your mp3 player a little bit of trivia and producer Andrew's going to help with this because he is a bigger fan of the show, and I didn't have as much time as I would normally like to prepare the trivia for this section. Uh, first up, many of the creators of Parks and Rec had worked on The Office, and it was initially uh, conceived of as a spinoff from The Office, though that, uh, like, you don't really see much other than the stylistic similarity that I would think, be carry over. I think in the opening um, episodes of the first season, y- you see it feel too much like The Office, and mm-hmm. I think people were kind of burned out on that. Yeah. I mean, it's still a mockumentary throughout. Like you still get talking heads, but not nearly as many talking heads, at least it seemed in these episodes. Well, and um, it opens with kind of this nihilistic office type view of working like a drudgery of being in small town politics. Um, And that goes away and it becomes like, Hey, it feels good to do a good job. And to also care about people. Well, and also like one thing that I noticed between my experience of watching the first several episodes of the first season and, and then these episodes, uh, in these later, like it seems like there's a major tonal shift that happens between season one and season two. And and some of that is character tweaks. Like, uh, Leslie Nope seems to become more likable as a character and and more competent. I guess she, she, it's, uh, there's definitely a change to her being able to actually execute a vision, but also all the, in these later episodes, you sense, I mean, not between every single character interaction, but these characters enjoy working together. Mm-hmm. Um, like there, there's some tension between some of the characters, but in that first season, it, I like what you said. There's a little more nihilistic, like just everyone is beaten down by the job, except for listening Nope, who has, uh, optimism, but no competence. Mm-hmm. And in these later seasons, it seemed like this was a group of people who enjoy each other and, and balanced out their optimism with confidence. They mm-hmm. actually, you know, achieve things and that helps them gain more confidence as they, as they move forward and develop and, and grow in their roles. Mm-hmm. Um, the series was nominated for two Emmy Awards for Outstanding Series, as well as several other nominations in other categories. But um, Amy Poehler did win a Golden Globe for playing Leslie Nope. Uh, that was the major uh, award that, w- that was won besides just nominations. And I think she does a great job. Is this series, uh, it's all the way done now? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. There was the first six seasons aired on NBC, I believe. And then um, a few years after that um, series finale, Netflix produced one more season. Um, oh, okay. So I, I think a number of years, like two or three years after, at least. So, and and they do a a longer jump in time than that. But uh, it was after Chris Pratt had you know become 
Star Lord and the star of Jurassic World and all of that. Um, oh, so he was he was uh, he, like he came yeah. back from his Hollywood time to do this. It's so weird for me to see him in this role it, 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 compared to the star of Lego Movie, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Jurassic World. Yeah, I can imagine that it's big, weird. Blockbusters in two or three years. Yeah, I can imagine that it's weird for people who love this show to see him in those roles. But I don't know. I, I didn't engage with the show until after. Okay. Joseph has searched in the recesses of his mind and found some information. So it looks like the seventh season did air on NBC. It was shorter. It was only 13. Um, I Episodes? Just, uh, yeah, only 13 episodes. I guess he did not finish that sentence. In what year was that? Uh, I think up at the top. 2015? Okay. Um, hmm. Perhaps uh, it was airing when I was watching the series on Netflix, and then I had a gap between. So it could have been my understanding was was incorrect. Let's see. So, yeah, it does look like all seven seasons were NBC uh, on NBC. But sometimes um, if a series might not get its last season, a uh, streaming service may help co-produce. Right. Even so, if it does air so on it, so it maybe... could have been something like that. Yeah. Um, it, it has a slightly different tone um, at the very least and a, and a time jump. Yeah, it does say even though it aired in 2015, it was set in 2017. Okay. Wait, what? It's set in the future? Yes. <laughs> Whoa. It's, Which so I'm going to read straight not from account for here. some of the realities of 2017. Uh, yes, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, man. Reading directly from Wikipedia here, this season differed from any other season of Parks and Recreation in that it detailed a much larger story arc for the characters, showcasing their growth over the course of the show. Set in 2017, following season six, the season included. Uh, well, it says who's there. Um, though I guess it has a storyline of a fallout between Leslie Nope and Ron Swanson that is getting resolved through the season. But like that, that fallout happened during the time jump. So you don't actually see them fighting. You just find out they have been fighting, fighting. Yeah. And you see them resolve that. Um, which is a very, very good episode, but you need to build through to it. There's a lot of, um, long, basically season long arcs that happen throughout this series, which is a little different from a lot of sitcoms where you can more or less reset and expect a reset each season. Um, there's local elections that get brought in. There's um, large projects and, and developments in the, in the city and all those sorts of things. So when you look on, on the, the graph TV website that Joseph mentioned earlier, the highest ranked episodes tend to be culmination points of those arcs and aren't necessarily the episodes I would remember the strongest, but they do have a big emotional payoff as you watch sequentially. Okay. Um, This is one of those shows that even though I haven't engaged with very much, like we said at the very beginning, it's hard to say the name Ron Swanson without laughing. Like I've seen that um, (laughs) Nick Offerman's face in memes and I've seen enough clips through social media. Yeah. I know that character and I kind of knew Chris Pratt's Andy Dwyer. And again, it's it's just a very odd disconnect from the kind of schlubby Andy Dwyer at the beginning of, of Parks and Rec to the star Lord, uh, you know, the Jurassic world, uh, Jurassic world, the, you know, w- one of the highest paid actors in all of Hollywood as an action star <laughs> compared to who yeah. we see at the start of Parks and Rec. It's, um, it's interesting to see those transformations. Are we ready to dive into these episodes? 
I do have one other piece of trivia. I learned it today while watching some episodes with my wife. Go for it. Uh, in the opening sequence, they have a picture of a cardinal. And since uh, my wife is from Virginia and, and Joseph and I and all our siblings were born in Virginia, we happen to know that the cardinal is the state bird of Virginia. And so my wife pointed out they had a cardinal. I said, oh, it's the state bird of Indiana. I don't know why I knew that, but I, I pulled it forth from somewhere in my mind. Really? And I said, from the true recesses of your mind. Yes. And I said, please double check that. And then I said, I think it's Ohio too. And if that's the <laughs> case, then I think it's the state bird of the most states. And I was right. On all, on those, all accounts. On, on all of those accounts. It is the state <laughs> bird of seven states. Whoa. It is wow. the state bird of Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina, and Kentucky. Okay. I did, I did a, not know all of that. Trivia. But but I, when she said, there's a cardinal, I was like, oh, yeah, it's the state bird of Indiana and Virginia. Wait, and Ohio? <laughs> and I don't know how my, my mind learned that. I, I have some odd fascination with the representative um, flora and fauna of each state. Um, <laughs> I think part of that is is my distaste for Utah's choice of the California gull and the Colorado blue spruce as bird and tree. <laughs> Just pick one with your own state's name in it. Oh, man. Okay. That was lovely trivia and has completely gotten me in the right frame of mind for the rest of this episode. <laughs> All right, Todd, we, <laughs> listeners, uh, just know, like, we're not on our, our smoothest run so far in we're, recording this episode. We are recording on an abnormal day. Producer Andrew's cleaned it up. You don't know. Like, to you, this listen, or this listens, this sounds like a classic well-oiled machine episode of the protagonist podcast but we've been all over the map it's because we're recording on a different day earlier in the week and we rushed through to get the summaries uh and as part of that todd is summarizing one episode and i am summarizing the second episode so todd why don't you hit us with flu season Flu season begins with Anne, a nurse, telling viewers that the flu is going around and making everyone miserable. And one of those miserable people is April, who is in the hospital and mad at Anne, the nurse, because she, Anne, kissed Andy, who used to be her boyfriend, but is now April's boyfriend. Is everybody clear on this so far? Uh, real quick, who Go is April? Because I was wondering that when I first started. So Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, but, but like within she the world of Ron Swanson's assistant. Okay, because just for any listeners who are unfamiliar, that was throwing me at just jumping into this random episode. So, so I think April, we need to establish the roles of each of these characters in, April the, in is, the series. April is Ron's uh, assistant. Andy so she is, works in the Parks and Rec department. Andy is just a schlubby guy who just hangs out around the office. I don't know what his job is. but um, um, At certain times, he's a shiny shoe shoes. Um, sometimes he's also a security guard. Okay. And sometimes it, he's Ron's assistant, varies. as we will see. Uh, so Leslie, uh, Leslie Nope, who is the head of the office, she's the deputy something something. Yes, Ron is the chief. She's the deputy. Okay, um, for the Parks and Rec department. So Leslie and her team are working on organizing the Harvest Festival, and they need local businesses to participate. She is obviously coming down with the flu, but she can't stop working. So she tells herself and everyone else that she has allergies, even though she's vomited five times today. Uh, Ron brings, so Ron is the, the chief of the office. I think director, um, and Leslie's deputy director. Okay. Uh, he brings some magazines and lipstick, uh, women's stuff as he refers to them, uh, to April in the hospital. And she asks him not to tell Andy 
who is her boyfriend who has just kissed Anne, that she is in the hospital. He's fine with that because he really doesn't like people anyway, and he doesn't want to get involved in, uh, in people's business. Leslie is getting sick faster and faster, and the others have quarantined themselves in the conference room, so she starts licking everybody's things. <laughs> uh, Anne runs into her new boyfriend, Chris, pray- played by Rob Lowe, uh, who is in uh, The West Wing. Uh, so she runs into him in the hospital. He's just come back from a run. And uh, he's wearing a hospital mask because his body is a perfectly – it's perfectly tuned like a microchip. And the flu, he says, is like a grain of sand that could literally shut the whole system down. Does he uh, say the word literally a lot? He yes, says He but, says literally. But Not he, literally, he, but literally. He, he doesn't misuse it in the sense that it should mean figuratively. He always uses it in a way where it could actually be literally – so he doesn't completely he doesn't misuse it ironically, but it's a, a character trait of his. Yes, he he constantly says literally, literally. So uh, the flu is like a grain of sand that could literally shut the whole system down. So Anne laments the fact that he is the perfect man, uh, and she's kind of intimidated by him. In, in fact, she says that once she thought that he had farted, uh, but it turns out it was just her. Uh, Ron is bummed because April is the perfect assistant for him. And she's out of commission. If only there were someone he could find who was both aggressively mean and apathetic. <laughs> uh, just like her. She, he says she's the perfect package. And in his quest for someone who will be equally ineffective, he decides to ask the inept Andy, played by Chris Pratt, who is April's boyfriend, who has recently kissed Anne, his old girlfriend, to be his <laughs> assistant for the day. <laughs> Leslie's health continues to tank, and Chris is worried about being contaminated. Chris is uh, Rob Lowe, who is the runner guy, whose body is a uh, a well-oiled machine. Not Chris Pratt, who is Andy not Chris Pratt, who is Andy, who has kissed uh, Anne, who is his old girlfriend, but his real girlfriend is April, who is sick and mad in the hospital. Okay, I think we've got this cleared mm-hmm. up. Leslie's health continues to tank, and Chris is worried about being contaminated. Tom has moved to wearing gloves and a motorcycle helmet and spritzing himself with hand sanitizer to keep safe. Tom Uh, is more or less uh, Leslie's assistant. Okay, and uh, Leslie continues to insist that she is fine, but she gets more and more delirious and, um, like, she's hallucinating, and (laughs) it's very funny. Uh, Ben, who is also working in 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 the office, but I don't know what his job is. He um, works in a different section of the city government. Uh, he and Chris were sent by the state government because there were some issues with the financial books in the city government. And um, Ben is the accountant, and Chris is his boss. Okay. So Ben takes Leslie to Anne in the hospital. And uh, Leslie has a fever of 104, and Anne admits her. And then Ben tells Leslie not to worry that he will take care of the presentation to the Chamber of Commerce, uh, which uh, Leslie refers to as the Chamber of Secrets at one point. (laughs) Uh, So while he's preparing the presentation, Tom, who is Leslie's assistant, tells Ben, the accountant, not to over-prepare or really to prepare at all, and that he, Tom, is going to the spa. Uh, April continues to treat Anne terribly in the hospital. Uh, and Anne is determined to stay strong and maintain uh, her uh, professional demeanor. Uh, Leslie is trying to help Ben prepare uh, over the phone, and she proposes writing a rap for his intro, but decides that he is much too white to be able to pull that off. Um, and Ben tells her, don't worry, that he's not just phoning it in. He's actually going to do a good job. Ron now is hungry because he hasn't had lunch since yesterday. 
And Andy proposes that they go to a place that has great burritos. Ron is about to protest because he usually doesn't go for ethnic food, but changes his mind at the words, meat tornado. Leslie starts to get dressed in the hospital, convinced that she must be at the meeting. Anne refuses to let her go because she has wrapped her pants around her neck, thinking they are a scarf. Meanwhile, Tom is having a great time at the spa, telling jokes to the old white businessmen there. At the hospital, Anne is surprised. Yes. For for that one to land, uh, Tom is Indian. Uh, American-born Indian. He's played by Aziz. Aziz Ansari. Ansari. At the hospital, Anne is surprised to see Chris uh, sick. Uh, So this is Chris played by Rob Lowe, who is the perfect man with the, uh, with the well-oiled machine body. Uh, it turns out that he has no body fat to protect him from disease, and he has the flu, uh, and it's bad. And he warns her that she needs to replace his electrolytes, because when he is sick, his body loses a lot of fluid. <laughs> Involuntarily. Uh, Andy and Ron are now bonding like father and son over the meat tornado burrito, which Ron praises as a new meat delivery system. Ron likes Andy because he is surrounded by, uh, he says, a lot of women in his department, and that includes the men. April asks Anne for more flu medicine because Leslie stole hers and left. Uh, Anne goes to check on Chris. Chris tells her that Leslie also stole his flu medicine and left. So now Leslie shows up at the Chamber of Commerce uh, at meeting. And she is completely hallucinating. <laughs> uh, this performance is uh, it's, it's pretty great. Uh, and now Ron and Andy are barbecuing inside of their office. And <laughs> Behind Anne... the window. I love that scene, though. Like, they, so they don't really draw attention to it for the joke. It's just there that they're it's barbecuing so inside the office. So Anne is running around trying to keep everyone healthy, and Chris is extremely sick. He's vomiting and pooping everywhere. And Anne is happy about this because it makes him less intimidating. <laughs> He says, I vomited somewhere in this room. Somewhere in this room. I think maybe you should check that drawer. suspicious of that drawer. (laughs) So Andy asks Ron what he should do about the situation with April. Ron tells him that she is in the hospital, and Andy gives him a big hug, and Ron doesn't know quite what to do with this. At the Chamber of Commerce uh, meeting, Leslie stands up and delivers an amazing speech. With, which Ben praises as the equivalent of a flu-ridden Michael Jordan in the 97 NBA Finals, or Kirk Gibson hobbling up to hit a home run off De- Dennis Eckersley. No, he says, it was just Leslie. Nope. Quick uh, pause. Yes. As a person who was living in Utah in 1997, that joke oh. hurt. I did, not, it, yeah. I did not appreciate that joke about Michael Jordan in the 97 Finals. It was pretty amazing, but, uh, but it, yeah, it hurts. <laughs> still hurts still hurts uh, 20 years later 20 years later Ooh. so Anne's shift ends and she goes totally off on April telling her not to take things out on Andy because he really still likes April and the kiss was a mistake and Anne is really starting to hate April and April responds uh, by telling the camera that she has never liked Anne more than now Ben uh, comes by Leslie's uh, hospital room now so this is kind of epilogue time uh, ben drops he drops some waffles, waffles and some chicken soup off for Leslie, and it looks like maybe he like likes her, maybe, or something. He's certainly impressed by her. Uh, Andy comes into the hospital and whispers an apology to April. He kisses her on the forehead, and then he's grossed out because it's all sweaty, and she's secretly awake. And then Ben and Chris decide to extend their stay in uh, in this in Pawnee. Uh, Chris is feeling, who is feeling much better, goes out for a light 15 K run because he missed the previous day, the end of this episode. Good summary, Todd. 
I took a different approach to summarizing, uh, <laughs> which may have been a, a wise uh, Ron and Tammy's Ron and Tammy's. Okay. So in Ron and Tammy's, there this are three is season plots. four, episode two. Yes. There are and mine was plots. season three, episode two. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to cut you off one more time. <laughs> Please do. Appreciate it. It makes for great podcasting. <laughs> there are three plots and I'm just going to summarize each individual plot and not do the intertwining because so, some of them, don't cross over these, so they, these ones they don't cross over very much at all so the c plot is that Anne ask asks chris so Anne was the nurse and now she's back at what is she Anne's is role? a nurse okay but she is also leslie's best friend and she is uh close friends with everyone in okay. the department but so, she I, as far as i know remains a medical professional because i couldn't time. tell if she was a city employee you know at the, i don't think so but she works a nurse schedule so she's got like 24 hours on Okay, some hours off. So she has daytime hours off sometimes. Okay, so Anne comes and asks Chris, and they are apparently not dating at this point, uh, to help her film a simple public service announcement about adult-onset diabetes. Wait, I think she may, at this point, be involved in the government in a health official okay. capacity. Okay. Like like the city health advisory board or something like that. I It's been a while since I watched the whole thing. Uh, for this plot, I guess it's not really that important. Uh, this is the least of the plots of this episode. Uh, Chris is something of a perfectionist and forces an excessive number of takes, keeping track of millisecond differences in each delivery as he tries to get through the very simple script warning. And by, and by excessive number of takes, we mean like seven hours of filming of what seems like, like it's going to be a 30, 30 second. second. Yeah. 15 to 30 <laughs> second bit. All right. B plot. Tom who does not seem to be working government anymore, and he seems like a permanent entrepreneur. Is that correct? Yeah. He he takes a break from government to unsuccessfully try to make money. Right. Well, spend well, money or, in this instance. Or, <laughs> yes. He has a friend named John Ralphio who... Uh, John Ralphio. John, okay. John Ralphio. Um, I love this whole company. <laughs> okay. I think, and I don't know, John Ralphio occasionally has money because... An uncle died, or he has a good lawyer who helped him get away with getting, quote, hit by Alexis. <laughs> and, and there was a settlement. And Tom always, they, they uh, try and, to start up a new company. Yeah. And so okay. they, they entrepreneur, mostly with that money. Sometimes Tom has a little bit. Okay. Um, I, I can't remember where they got this money. All right. So Tom and his friend Jean Ralphio have a company, and they go and ask Ben, who is the accountant. Uh, character, uh, to help them balance the books of the company. And it is impossible for me to overstate how poorly managed this company is. <laughs> and Ben is just completely overwhelmed as he looks around. As he says, I would guess that we bankrupt by the end of this sentence. As, as he served a beverage <laughs> yes. by a waiter. And and there's professional basketball players playing in the background. Yeah, there's there's NBA players just there because they were hired to be there. The great thing is that it totally reminds me of... When I was when I was in college, and people would approach me about jobs, and they'd be like, "Dude, you should totally take this job. It's the best. There's like a basketball court, and we play video games, and there's like drinks and stuff." I'm like, what is this? <laughs> anyway, yeah, that was I mean, that was no, totally there, a thing when I was. There in- are successful workplaces that have some of these features, but not all of these features in this excess. It's a, and it's a no business and no business. Like there's yes. no model. There's no, they're, there's they're no, they're not doing anything. They, they don't have a product. Idea. They don't, they, they are 
Entertainment 720. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's amazing. Yeah, that was really good. Um, so, I mean, I guess, well, I'll just say it now. Uh, we mentioned that a lot of the creative people of this had come from The Office, and I think you can see the characters that are cousins of each other, like uh, Ron Swanson and Dwight Schrute, uh, are, have some have similar some, some relation. quirks about mm-hmm. uh, their sense of masculinity and you know how obsessed they are with what they like and then how little they care about what anyone else does. And then uh, Tom seems to have a bit of um, the B.J. Novak character. Um, right. Uh, what's his name? I don't uh, remember. I can't remember the, the B.J. Novak character from The Office. Um, but who becomes... Uh, Ryan? Ryan, yes. He starts as an intern, but then he becomes kind of... He the, gets hired uh, by the corporate shot. office. Yeah, and-, and then he becomes this kind of hipster attempt at an entrepreneur all the time in the, in the later seasons <laughs> of The Office. All right. Uh, so, A-plot, what takes up the bulk of this episode. Ron Swanson's first wife, referred to as Tammy 1, because his second wife is referred to as Tammy 2, and I believe his mother is Tammy 0. Anyway. <laughs> his, his mother's name is Tamara. She goes by Tammy. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Tammy One is an IRS agent and is coming to audit Ron Swanson. Ron Swanson has to get his finances in order, which is something of a struggle for him. He just dumps out this trash bag. <laughs> so great. Has things like a photograph of a handshake. He says, uh, I can't remember what the deal it's was. A gentleman's <laughs> agreement. <laughs> agreement. It's a gentleman's agreement. <laughs> I think he was getting lumber from him. Yes. And There's he was a providing- sticky note that says, Bot Supplies 2017. <laughs> And uh, they they say, uh, you've got every month, it looks like a $130 receipt. And he says, every month, I buy my mother cigarettes and shotgun shells. Shotgun shells. shells. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, such... Oh, Nick Offerman's delivery. So great. Anyway, uh, Tammy One, we meet her. She is cold, manipulative, and emotionally distant. Tammy One moves in with Ron, and he comes into the office. He has shaved his mustache, and he is perky, and he is kind to his co-workers. And Leslie is concerned about this troubling transformation in Ron Swanson, who normally likes no one and nothing about his work, and doesn't believe in his work because he's anti-government. Uh, he even says... It's such a great character to have. His, his line of uh, when he's getting audited, and Leslie's saying, this is a big deal, and he just yells out... Uh, income taxes are illegal. <laughs> and then uh, what causes Leslie to really freak out about him is when he comes back and he's uh, Leslie wants him to come to a, a meeting about how uh, every office in the city government is going to is going over their budget. And he says, I trust the government to spend their money wisely. And that's when Leslie freaks out and knows something is wrong with Ron. Uh, so she wants to get things back to normal. And in doing this, she asks Tammy one, if the audit is even real and Tammy one says, in a sense, yes, but in another truer sense, no, it is not. Uh, Tammy, Tammy one is freaky. Yes. Tammy one wanted Ron back, but she also wanted to look into his finances first. Uh, and Ron keeps his personal wealth in gold, buried around Pawnee in secret locations, so Leslie accuses her, uh, uh, Tammy One of being a literal gold digger. Uh, she, uh, Tammy One is impressed by the amount of gold that Ron has buried around the city. Leslie, uh, to try and understand the best method of dealing with Tammy One, she goes to visit Ron's second wife, Tammy Two, for advice. Uh, Tammy Two has featured in more episodes than Tammy One. Um, and Ron... Ron is always great in episodes where either of his wives appear, but uh, there's also one instance where 
he apparently has bug out bags stashed around the building for in case he senses either of his wives approaching <laughs> and he disappears for like 10 days and and Leslie knows and supports this so he senses one of them in the building and he climbs up to a, a ceiling tile lifts it away and grabs his backpack and starts running he tells Leslie you know what to do and just runs away <laughs> and I, about 10 days later she goes and goes to find him in a cabin <laughs> All right, uh, so they visit Tammy 2 for advice, and Tammy 2 suggests that they need to talk to Ron's mother. Uh, so they do, and Ron's mother challenges Tammy 1 to a drink-off of Swanson homemade alcohol, uh, who's the only perfect... <laughs> it's only legal function? <laughs> the only legal function of this alcohol is to strip varnish off of speedboats. <laughs> oh, man. And we also learned several other uses of this homemade brew, such as melting the shell off of garden snails, <laughs> or removing mold, or removing warts from, off of dog off, off the mules. Off the mules. <laughs> These are things they use it for. Anyway, uh, Tammy One says basically they're going to drink till one of them's under the table, uh, and uh, Ron's mom says that. Uh, well, Tammy One says that if she wins, Ron is going to stay with her. Tammy Zero says that if she wins, Ron is coming back to the farm, and Leslie won't have that. So she jumps in and says, I'm going to be in this drink-off, and if I win, Ron stays here. Um, this stuff is powerful, and immediately Leslie is struggling. And after Amy Poehler gets a chance to do some fantastic drunk acting, uh, Ron declares that this ends now, and he grabs this <laughs> gallon jug of alcohol and just tips it up and chugs the entire thing straight and, down. And he chugs quite a bit of it on camera. On camera, so you whatever see how, substance yeah. it was, he drank a good portion. And then he slams the jug back down on the table, and he tells his mom that she's going back to the farm, and he tells Tammy One that she's going back to hell, and that he's staying at his office job in Pawnee, Indiana. The end. Way to go. Thank you. <sighs> so where do we go from here? All right. So, so pick, Leslie pick, or Ron? Yeah, pick your character. Let's talk about Leslie first. Okay. I had the same reaction that you had, uh, which is when I started watching this, I was I just couldn't handle Leslie Nope as a character in the in the first season, um, and I was really surprised to see how much she had changed by uh, season three, episode two. Um, it, it mostly changes within the early episodes of season two. They decided okay. to shift it to a a competent official who's kind of working against the odds. Yeah, um, I really like that that change. And, um, I, I did not see the, the twist at the end of that, the episode where she stands up and delivers this amazing speech. Uh, I just didn't see it coming because I was expecting her to be incompetent and she's not. And, uh, I like that. I, th- I thought it was a nice change. And I think it's a great example of comedy. Um, it can build to something, but then sometimes when you still subvert those expectations at the end, that can be even funnier than if she had given, you know, the high on the flu drugs and her body breaking down, you know, meandering speech that's all over the place. That could have been funny, but it was actually funnier to have this moment of pure competence from her and then see the other characters reactions who know how off she really is from her game. And they do balance it a little bit with she's able to deliver her prepared speech extremely well. But as soon as somebody asks her a question, she can't handle it, and and she's loopy again. 
Yeah, and, and she gets swept off the stage uh, by by, uh, by her staff. Um, but I, th- I think it is one of those great rules of comedy about subverting expectations. Um, even when they've been built up within an episode, uh, and you you kind of want this this great payoff that, like I said, could be funny, but to go in the other direction, just it, it a good writer can find those right moments where it's like, okay, they're expecting this. I'm going to do something different. Um, another example that just has always stood out to me as a very, a very minor thing that happened in a film, but just gave me a lot of joy uh, in the first Pirates of the Caribbean film, which is the only one I remember at this point. I don't know if I've even seen the other ones that have been made. <laughs> um, there's the two buffoon uh, British redcoat guards that are there as comic relief throughout the entire movie. And then they see zombies at the end and they shake hands and rush in to fight the zombies. And it's just such a great moment that you expect these guys who have just been bumbling and incompetent for most of the film to run away screaming like, like scared children, but they just look at each other, shake hands and run directly in to fight this, you know, these mystical foes. And it's a, a great example of how that was more rewarding for viewers and uh-huh. funnier for viewers than if you'd gone with what was expected. I think that word uh, rewarding, uh, I like I like that. Um, and the structure. So Ben says after after Tammy's or after uh, Leslie's speech, he says it was like Michael Jordan in the in the '97 NBA Finals. And I think there is something about the structure of that story. I mean, those are and 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 Kirk Gibson and. Um, I think of, I mean, I'm I'm a big BYU football fan. I think of Robbie Bosco in, you know, with the with the injured knee coming out and uh, and playing. But the, the, I think there's something about that that kind of a story where um, the hero is totally down, almost out. Right? It looks impossible, and then comes back and does this amazing thing that's really inspiring. Um, and those are some of the greatest stories in, in all of sports. And one of the things that we love about sports are the great stories that it, it, that it, that it gives us. Um, and I think it's great for them to combine the structure that we recognize from, from sports uh, and create the, this kind of comedic candy shell around it. Uh, it was just, it's awesome. It's really, um, really well done. I mean, it's a way of um, creating stakes that you recognize, even if it is just small town politics and and uh, fiction. I'm assuming Pawnee's a fictional town uh, mm-hmm. in Indiana. Um, that they, but by doing that parallel to you know all the classic sports movies or tropes that we know from either movies or from real life sports, uh, you immediately get invested in the stakes, the stakes that are happening. And again, because it's a comedy, you you could expect it to to flame out and, and go awry. And that could be hilarious uh, for a viewer, but they don't go that way. And I enjoyed it. I think parks and rec is especially good at consistently using as one of their elements of subverting your expectations, um, using legitimate success um, from the main characters as, as their subversion of your expectations. Uh-huh. Cause like from the office, you expect utter failure at every attempt to do almost anything. Right. Um, and in Parks and Rec, part of what they do to change that is to say, no, they're going to like put together this thing and they need 80 signatures. They're going to get 110 because she's doing a good job and it's going to be funny anyway. Yeah. Um, the, the creators of the show, I did read that one, um, early title for the show before it became Parks and Rec was public service, but then they were worried 
about making fun of public service because they're like, public service is actually kind of a noble thing and it's probably a, a pretty thankless thing. And then to build a show around mocking that, uh, it, well, and again, this might've been finding the tone, like that first season, yeah. the tone is more mocking of the, the role, uh, you know, of the parks rec department in a small town. Uh, and this one is definitely a little more triumphant in how it's portraying this. And like he's, I mean, he's the word a little more inspirational. It's, it's a sitcom. You're going to laugh a lot. It's, it's, it's broad and it's comedy at times. Uh, and it's, it's not doing this as, you know, the, you know, the swelling music kind of triumphant story, but at the same time, there is something that seems to be lauded in the way they're, they're portraying these characters, even as we laugh at them a lot of the time. It's the difference between, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking of Hoosiers and the great uh, the great soundtrack that you don't like for Hoosiers. <laughs> Hoosiers. <laughs> and Hoosiers. And like uh this is this is not that. This is just a tip of the hat, right? Like this is this is the creators of this show kind of tipping their hat and nodding to public service and saying, "You know what? You do some pretty great stuff." And uh and I I like that. And um I, I wanted also to talk about the relationship between uh, Leslie and Ron because they're complete opposites, but we're able to see in the second episode that we talked about how much she really kind of cares about him and relies on him. And, and in, and even the things that, that you would, the, or that she would hate about him are the, also the things that she loves the most about him. And I just, I think they're, their relationship is really interesting. It says interesting things about, about who she is, that she can, that they can get along. They, they have a really great relationship and it builds well through the seasons. It's one of my favorite, like friendships, um, in any show I've ever watched. It's really hard when you watch the last season and you know, there's a gap and then they're not speaking to each other mm-hmm. because they've built such a strong relationship. And so when it gets resolved, it's really satisfying but they also start out with much more hostility than you see even in these episodes. Uh, and, um, in or, or at least it seems like more hostility. Um, she's sort of always convinced that they will be friends. And he's sort of always denying that they are friends. Um, <laughs> even, even as it's evident that they are and that he trusts her um, and, and, you know, supports her in all of her efforts to, to do these things with government, which he also hates because it's government. <laughs> um, but he doesn't hate her. Right. Because she is, I think in his mind, the only acceptable, um, kind of, of government, uh, entity, which is one that believes in actually doing what it's supposed to do. And is actually trying to accomplish that. And, yeah. And, and he's, he's, he's cynical about, you know, what government is not what government should be, I think. And she's representing what it should be. And he supports that, but he's, he's not going to, embrace it or try to do it himself. I love it when he's, uh, he's the counterbalance. Yeah. I just, we'll, we'll talk about Ron, but when he is, has Andy as his assistant and he's teaching Andy about different forms of government, <laughs> yes. <laughs> kind of talking about what's wrong with every single form of government. Communism was bad. Big swing and a miss. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me kind of, 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 um, when we talked about, uh, the one about Alaska, uh, <laughs> Northern, Expo- Northern, Northern Exposure. Northern Exposure. Thank you. Our most popular me. episode ever. When we talked about no- Northern Exposure and um, and that, oh my gosh, I'm I'm just butchering this. The guy that everybody hates, Maurice. But in the end, 
they all kind of get along and, and they realize that he's, he's part of this community just like everybody else. And this is even one step further than that, where there really is genuine, like friendship and respect and not just in spite of, but because of their differences, I think, I mean, and we see that because when he, when he changes and becomes more like her or like a version, a male version of her, she's disgusted. She's like, what have you done with, with, uh, with Ron? Yeah. I like seeing these two characters. Um, and then the friendship that we're describing on a sitcom or on any network television where it's a male and female character that are both heterosexual and it's just a friendship and there is no sexual tension at all. And it's for some reason shows struggle to have that dynamic (laughs) where, where it's a man and a woman who are, going to be main characters and they're going to be attractive and that, the, but there's no, no romantic tension between them. Um, I enjoy the show elementary right now and it's done a great job of running for years of having, um, a female Watson, Joan Watson, uh, played by Lucy Liu and, and Sherlock living together in the same brownstone apartment and being partners solving crimes every week and never once entering, uh, a romantic sphere, but showing, a genuine relationship between two adults. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we're so trained in sitcoms particularly, and but even in hour long dramas that if you have two main characters, there, there's going to be some tension there. Um, and, uh, and the casts of sitcoms are often like, it kind of becomes almost incestuous the way romantic pairings right. happen from season to season. Uh, but I enjoy seeing this, uh, that Ron and Leslie are just good friends who are adults of the opposite gender, who are heterosexual, and that being good friends is enough for them. Yeah, it's um, it's the complete opposite of How I Met Your Mother, <laughs> right? <laughs> Where every joke is about, uh, is about intimacy and relationships, and everyone's with everyone all the time, and that's the whole premise of the show. And this is a, about a, a thousand other things, which mm-hmm. is really nice. Yeah, and to have a workplace presented with adults who are just, at least in this sphere, they're just doing their jobs. I understand Leslie does end up in a relationship with a coworker. Andrew, is that correct? Uh, yeah, she she and Ben, um, the accountant. Yes, spoilers. They ultimately get married, and wow, uh, and Leslie has Ron um, walk her down the aisle. To, <laughs> and, there, and there's there, it's it's a really satisfying moment. And there's a sequence where um, their first attempt at the wedding was interrupted and Ron was in a holding cell cell at the, at the jail um, because of part of his responsibilities at the wedding. Um, and he is, you know, satisfied with his position and he accepts it. And Leslie says, my dad's dead and I don't have any brothers. I'm not getting married unless you're the one walking me down that aisle. Like you're going to yeah. be there. Like that's how deep their friendship is. Yeah. And, and you know, the reason he's in jail is in service to the wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and they, they address the, the relationship between Leslie and Ben, uh, correctly and maturely because he is in a superior position. Cause he's from the state government. Well, and, and, um, when he and Chris stay, they are like in the city management. Mm-hmm. And so they manage several Parks departments. So they manage the Parks and Rec. Yeah. And, and so the, her department is be- below them and they, um, you know, flirt a lot and go on some dates. And then they talk about, it's like, well, we can't do this because of the workplace dynamics. And then they kind of decide, okay, well, we're going to date anyway. And they kind of try to keep it quiet for a little while. And then they decide, 
no, like it's it's real or it, or it gets mm-hmm. you know kind of scandalized or something. But they go through the hearings and they say like, here's the stuff. They go through I, HR and everything. yeah, it's like, was there any preferential treatment to her department because you were dating her? Mm-hmm. You know, and all these kinds of things, and they make that part of the show and the discussion. They don't gloss over it. It's yeah. you know, it's yeah. a segment of the show is dealing with this fact that they've you know formed an attachment in the workplace. Um, yeah, but- which, which again, so many shows won't even ever address mm-hmm. um, when there's been you know far more transgression of <laughs> well, of, about- of the the rules and regulations. I'm thinking about The Office and like by season seven, uh, was it seven seasons of The Office? Or not, no, nine know. seasons. By season nine, like if you try and track who has dated whom in The Office, it just is a mess <laughs> um, uh, of, of who's had these relationships. Uh, and, and so often it is just, you know, what is the sexual chemistry? And I like seeing this true friendship uh, on display. Yeah. Right, and there's so some of that. There is some of that in in this, right? With April and Anne and Andy and Chris. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they, but, they still have but it's it in not. There. It's not the only joke, and it's it's certainly not the center of these episodes, and probably and it's also separated from episodes, the workplace. But, yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, like Andy um, isn't really part of the Parks and Rec department. It's not a conflict for him to be, yeah. right? Um, you know, and romantically involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Leslie, I just want to give uh, props to Amy Poehler for her ability to play uh, <laughs> terribly ill and drugged up in this episode, and then uh, the finale of her being drunk off of the Swanson family, whatever it was. Uh, yeah, the Swanson moonshine. Uh, she has fantastic uh, physical comedy chops uh, in, in how she does that, but she also... I think I think she has a lot of good range uh, as the actress. Um, and like when, she, when she's giving the speech, she comes across as professional. But also, there's she's giving the speech, but and, and you see why it goes over well with the Chamber of Commerce and that it looks completely professional. But there's just the hint of her having more going on, uh, which is a really tricky line to walk as as an actor or actress. And I think she does a great job. Yeah, she there's a there's a moment when when she. Um, she makes she gets to the chamber of commerce and she's talking to Ben and then she says something she says like wait um the the well, ceiling watch out the the watch the out floor the, ceiling, the wall the floor just the switched. Wall just switched yeah and then she she does this like she's walking really kind of slowly and i thought the first time i saw it i thought that they had done something weird with the camera uh like a like a weird um zoom in zoom out or something to make it feel like it was dizzy, like and then I watched it. This kind of thing. Yeah, watched it the second time, and it's not. It's just her face, and she does this weird thing, like with her eyes and the way that she approaches the camera, that makes it feel like it, like there's a trick going on, and there's not. And I don't know how she does it, but it's really, uh, it's really awesome. I love it. All right, shall we talk some about Ron Swanson? Let's talk about Ron Swanson. Where to start? <laughs> Everything I, that comes out of his mouth is just amazing. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's, it's, it's incredible writing. Oh, and uh, a good deal of his character is informed by uh, Nick Offerman. Uh, like the woodworking and, um, and things like that is very real. Like he's been a guest on this old house. Really? To talk about woodworking and, and like amateur in your spare time woodworking. I've heard him as a, uh, he was a guest on the John Hodgman podcast, mm-hmm. 
And he just casually mentioned that he was waiting for a shipment of a particular kind of rare wood for him to make his his own ukuleles, I believe. Yeah, he's making ukuleles. <laughs> wow. Just, yeah, and, and, and they got from it just, just casually, you know, it just came up that, yeah, I've got three of the kinds of wood I need, but I'm still waiting for the fourth before I start crafting my ukulele. And um, he's he's got at least one, but probably, I think, two books published that are... I mean, you you could read them in the Ron Swanson voice and believe it was Ron Swanson writing them. Uh, Isn't one a barbecue book? Uh, I think one's woodworking, one might be barbecue. Yeah. But it's, you know, he embodies Ron Swanson. I, I'm sure much more toned down in real life, but it, in many ways, that's a caricature of Nick Offerman. When he comes in in that second episode and he shaved the mustache. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I've not seen lots of Parks and Rec. We've established this. But his face is used so often in memes online. Yeah. And if clips are floating through from Parks and Rec in my as either GIFs or like, you know, the one minute snippets from a show in my social media, it's probably a Ron Swanson clip from Parks and Rec. Like if it's from coming from Parks and Rec, it's probably Ron Swanson. And I'm so used to seeing him with the mustache. And to see him clean shaven was just jarring. And it like it completely changes everything about his face. Like he he's is like maybe he's also doing facial acting to make chipper to to make it more striking. But and 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 the colored shirt he's wearing, he's got like this kind of like uh, like pastel pastel polo um, instead of his dark it's solid like, color. It's like a pink and a mint pastel. Yeah, That's great. Uh, and and he you know has like this kind of golly g like like leave it to Beaver kind of nineteen fifties ness. Mm-hmm. Um, to it, which is still in line with Ron Swanson. Like it, when he's usually there, it's kind of like this gruff 1950s masculinity, and this switch to like the chipper 1950s masculinity. <laughs> um, and, and it's just it's almost impossible to see him there. Like you look at it, and you it's like is that the same guy? And one thing that I think is so great about that episode. Which it may seem odd to talk about Ron Swanson and use an episode where it's all geared around him not being Ron Swanson, but seeing those opposites makes it so clear who Ron Swanson yeah. really is. That I don't need three seasons of Ron Swanson to find it funny to to see Nick Offerman coming in in a different color, a different kind of shirt, and being chipper and watching everyone else's reaction. Like the reactions of everyone tells me why this is so opposite. Like what what is off about him? Uh, and and also Nick Offerman's performance, like <laughs> just. It has this feel of, of um, again, just something is off, even as he is being this happy chipper version of Ron Swanson. And, and using a cell phone. And, and trusting the government. Um, yes. And, and calling his wife, well, his, his first wife, his still ex-wife, I guess, but for permission to do things. <laughs> like Leslie says. Know. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask, do, do either of you know what Nick Offerman's uh, like political views are in real life? I no do idea. not. It just it, it it seems like Ron Swanson could, with very little changes, be like, um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for here? Like it would it, if they pushed him a little bit further into the realm of, I don't know, <laughs> if, if they pushed him, well. N- I mean, he's he's incredibly anti-government, but the way that it's played, it's like it's done with love, mm-hmm. um, and a, a kind—I uh, don't want to say but, respect, but like if they could push it further, where he's just like unpalatable, right? 
Um, right. and, and yet somehow like, they've he, done it. Where he's a, a chaotic anarchist. Yeah, where nobody likes him. And yet somehow everybody likes him. And I mean, I, I, I think it's not surprising that there are so many memes about him because there's something there's something in him that we all know. Like we all know somebody that's kind of like that. I don't know. I just, I think it's really, I think it's really interesting how they're able to create this character who's obviously so extreme in so many ways. And yet he's not like disgusting. Um, and there's, there is something about him that's lovable and, and Leslie obviously sees it and is able to create a relationship with him. And a lot of other people do as well. in in the show, and I just think it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting how they're able to uh, create this character that uh, resonates with so many people, even though I, I think his ideas are ex- extreme enough that we would be hard pressed to find a ton of people that share every one of his views on everything. Um, I think in the first season, when we, we've established like the tone balance, something is off in that first season from what they managed to create later on. I think some of it is that um, Leslie Nope is too naive, too incompetent, and too optimistic. Like, all those things are a little too much. He is too cynical and gruff in that first season. Like, that, it doesn't quite work. His character doesn't quite work in the first season the same way Leslie's doesn't. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I like what Andrew said about their friendship later on, and as it evolves, becomes that, like, he sees Leslie as an acceptable form of government, where, like, all the virtues of government, she kind of is actually embodying and, and trying to carry out. And his cynicism is about everyone else in government. And his, his fears are not unfounded about the abuse that government officials at any level can, can wield and about the issues that can exist within a bureaucracy. We've all had those frustrations and we've all seen scandals um, in, in government. Uh, and he's kind of acting in this watchdog role from within, I guess. Of you know He is a government official, uh, but he still maintains his distrust. But he sees in Leslie the good that can come from government and the value that it can have for a community. There's um, an episode involving the police chief. Uh, Leslie wants to persuade him to supply officers as kind of the security, I think for the harvest festival. And um, so she wants to like, you know, be on a, on good terms with him and everything. She wants to like buy the, the police department pizza and, and, you know, get him get him beers at the bar and things like that. And, uh, the police chief, who in a lot of ways is similar to Ron in his, you know, gruff masculinity, um, at the end she, I, th- I I don't even think she gets to ask him. I think somebody else asks, and he says, "Is is it for Leslie? Does Leslie want the the cops there?" And he says, "Yeah." And he says, "Sure." Like Leslie Nope gets all the favors she wants because I know she won't abuse him. <laughs> Which you know is refreshing to see that other people see that she is the good. Um, embodiment of you know what can happen. I think I think one of the things that kind of softens Ron in these episodes are uh, well in the flu episode at the very beginning we see him in checking in on April right so he's he's like uh, m- yeah. ma- mean and gruff and super masculine but he takes the time to go in and check on her and bring her a, a bag of <laughs> what is it lipstick and magazines. You know? Yeah. But he also says up front, like, I don't do hospitals and I don't care about people, both of which are completely believable, 
But he cares enough about this person that he's there in the hospital, even if he doesn't stay and doesn't really help her to convalesce in any way, shape, or form, uh, other than dropping off these magazines. He's he's demonstrating it by moving beyond his comfort zone to do what he thinks maybe (laughs) is the thing that should be done, even though... He utterly doesn't know and isn't interested in finding out yeah, what he should be bringing. Certainly he's not going to inquire as yeah. to what he should do to help but, her along. But here's his best guess and and what is appropriate in his mind to bring her. And he will put himself outside his comfort it zone It reminds me that. of the poem. There's a poem that I learned when I was a kid about, um, I love you, mother, said little whatever. Do you know this poem? I don't know. That's not there's quite a, enough. There's a poem about uh, a mother, and she has two kids, and the one kid she asks to... Oh, no, I think she has three kids. And she has one kid, and she asks him to do this thing, and he says, oh, yes, of course, and then he goes away and does whatever he wants, but doesn't do what he says he would do. And then she asks somebody else, and then she says, oh, yes, yes, mother, I'll help you, and then and then uh, goes away and doesn't do anything. And then the third one... She basically says, I'm not interested in helping, but then in the end does the job. And then the question is, which one of these kids loves their, love their mother the best? And I feel like Ron is sort of like that third kid who, who in his, like verbally, he's all about, I don't care about people and I don't care about relationships. And I, and he just is a complete like isolationist individualist. And yet in his actions, he's, He's developing a relationship with April. He's developing a relationship with Andy, right? And they're bonding over the meat tornado burrito, and and they're 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 uh, running, uh, playing pass out in the uh, playing catch out in the in the parking lot, and he's got. And that's that's a great sequence because it shows that Ron, even in his gruff way, is not joyless. No. <laughs> like he's he's having a great time, and he's acting yeah. like a little kid. So well, I mean. He but loves, but he it's loves still meat. him. He loves meat. We it's, know that. it's still definitely him. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, uh, I, I think it's great. Um, it's a great work in building a character who could be just incredibly offensive to, you know, I mean, the, let's say half the country is liberal and half the country is conservative. This guy could be totally offensive to half the country, and I don't think that he is. I think that a lot of people that share a lot of Ron's views can look at Ron and be like, yeah, that's my guy, you know, <laughs> like, and, and, and the people that don't like, uh, that don't share his point of view can go, yeah, he's kind of, like, I, I'm totally repulsed by his ideas, but he's also hilarious. And there's something attractive about him, even in his hyper masculinity and, you know, ultra what libertarianism. Yeah. Let's no, don't call it conservatism, right? <laughs> I, he would not. He would no. not like that. <laughs> I much as I did for Amy Poehler, just Nick Offerman, great performance, uh, different kind of performance than Amy Poehler's. Like Amy Poehler's actually, even though we've said uh, Nick Offerman is almost a char- playing a caricature of a certain kind of person, Amy Poehler's called upon to be a lot broader yeah. in her comedy than he is. His, his is very dry, understand and. Um, understated in the delivery even though it's it's kind of a broad character that he's playing his comedy isn't broad oh they just get the moments like a run when they when the when chris pratt triggers a car alarm and they're running away <laughs> he screams he giggles, yes, he totally giggles. giggles. Giggling. that's awesome <laughs> stop right there you had me at meat tornado <laughs> uh so good so good 
real quick. Uh, I think we're nearing the end of our conversation, but I'm just, I haven't seen very many episodes, but I'm just going to pull up some, some Nick Offerman quotes and, and let's just read a few. Todd, why don't you pull up, <laughs> just, just put in Ron Swanson quotes and let's, uh, just best. take a, a couple minutes. Yeah. Two minutes. And we're going to do our best Ron Swanson readings of some quotes that we probably have not heard delivered because we've seen such a small amount of Parks and Rec. I've, I've heard them delivered. Uh, let's see. 26. I just found a list. 26 yep, songs and quotes that are never that funny. All right. Uh, should we, here, let's just do these 26. Yeah, Andrew, have you got that list on BuzzFeed? Um, okay, you want to just stick with let's, the 26? Let's just rotate uh, through through those 26. Through those 26. And we'll, it will uh, go me, Todd, Andrew, and we'll at least try and deliver it in our best pale imitations of Nick Offerman's perfect delivery of these lines. Put some alcohol in your mouth to block the words from coming out. Any dog under 50 pounds is a cat, and cats are useless. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's inappropriate. Okay, we'll For, skip number three. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so, so he's, he's won an arcade shooting game, and he says, uh, you know, he's supposed to put in his initials, says, my initials are private, and someone says, then just put in any three letters, and he chooses any particular three-letter word. <laughs> to say, imagine his name was... Adam Seth Smith. Oh, <laughs> uh. All right. Ron Swanson on, on uh, fashion. Uh, I believe this is... Uh, someone says, I have bangs now. And he says, I've never known what bangs are, and I don't intend to learn. Um, I'm going to skip number five <laughs> and say... <laughs> a, a similar... <laughs> similar reason. For a family-friendly podcast, we're not going to read that one out loud. Oh, this is a I've good had one. the same will since I was eight years old. Upon my death, all of my belongings shall transfer to the man or animal who je- has just killed me. And then uh, Ben says, what are these weird symbols? <laughs> and he says, uh, Rod says, the man who kills me will know. <laughs> what? Uh... <laughs> On, on family history, uh, somebody <laughs> asked, do, do you have any history of mental illness in your family? I have an uncle who does <laughs> yoga. Oh, man. Uh, this uh, next one's actually some physical comedy. Uh, he's asked if he would like to sample some vegan bacon that is 100% meatless, and he grabs it and throws it down on the floor. Uh, no, into a trash can. Oh, into a trash can. Is yes, please. Tra- and he throws it into a trash can. He's at, like, the Whole Foods. <laughs> Uh, oh, this one is a quote from the episode we had on meat. Uh, Andy says, trust me, they have one that's called the meat tornado. Literally killed a guy last year. And he holds up his hand and says, you had me at meat tornado. <laughs> uh, who's this? Chris? Chris says, Ron, would you like some salad? <laughs> and Ron says, since I am not a rabbit, no, I do not. <laughs> Um, and, yeah. on, on alcohol <laughs> again it's uh it's the it's the hospital scene i quoted earlier uh how many drinks of alcohol do you consume a week one that's it one drink one shelf <laughs> next couple are also on alcohol i'll just knock out a couple here uh clear alcohols are for rich women on diets and there will be alcohol there so i will go as well there's only one thing i hate more than lying skim milk which is water that's lying about being milk. <laughs> um, Can't read the next on, one. On, on uh, paperwork, <laughs> somebody has asked him, 
at the park for a permit. It says, not to worry, I have a permit. It's a piece of paper that says, I can do what I want, signed Ron. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, placing an order at a restaurant, I'll have the number eight. That's a party platter, sir. It serves 12 people. I know what I'm about, son. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, this is great. That's a... Yeah. Any other oh, I like to do? <laughs> uh... The less I know about other people's affairs, the happier I am. I'm not interested about, care- about caring about people. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. We still never talk sometimes. <laughs> um, uh, on dessert, dear frozen yogurt, you are the celery of desserts. Be ice cream or be nothing. <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff. Yep. Hold on. Uh, he's been in some kind of accident and someone says to him, I just need you to stay calm, okay? He says, yeah, I'm just going to stay angry. I find that relaxes me. <laughs> I'm just going to stay angry. That find that relaxes Fishing relaxes me. It's like yoga, except I still get to kill something. <laughs> and uh, I think this is uh, the, the summarizing last two quotes. I regret nothing. The end. And I hate everything. <laughs> uh, I have... I have selected one from a different list. Okay, this is, this is, this the, is the, the culmination of him. I believe he's been traveling on a road trip and is hungry. So he stops at a diner and says, Give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Wait, wait. I worry that what you heard was, Give me a lot of bacon and eggs. What I said was, Give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Do you understand? <laughs> <laughs> uh, great character. Ron Swanson. Endlessly nope. Uh, I, I really enjoyed both of these uh, characters and these episodes, and I imagine I'm going to be giving more of Parks and Rec a chance than I had before after those first five episodes that I've seen twice and given up. So, listeners, if you're interested in this, maybe just jump into season two. Would that be where to start, Andrew? Start a season two? Yeah. Um, it it still is learning itself for a few episodes. Does but... Rob Lowe come in in season two? I, I had no idea sure. Rob Lowe was in I've also this. had it reckoned... I've had it recommended to me to just start watching when Rob Lowe shows up. That is a, a good transition point. I think it's partway through season two. In fact, I know it must be because episode two of season three has him yeah. as a yeah. feature. So, so uh, great series from the couple episodes we've watched, and I look forward to watching more of it uh, when I need a good laugh and and hearing some more great Nick Offerman delivery and watching Amy Poehler uh, do some some fantastic comedy. Any final nope. thoughts, Tom? I'm uh, glad I got to see uh, some episodes of this show that are good. <laughs> <laughs> Again, listeners, just skip that first six episode season. I think that is going to wrap us up. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. Links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. That's also where you can find a list of all of our shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're all also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, at Jay Dorowski, or at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast we have really good conversations there with our listeners and we would love for you to say hello anytime and if you listen to this episode very shortly after it has been posted there's currently a chance to win a 
a free copy of uh, an essay collection that I edited called The Ages of the Justice League. And if you just go under a thread on our Facebook fan page and tell us some way in which you have promoted the protagonist podcast, whether it be just suggesting it to a friend or by becoming a patron, anything that you've done, we appreciate. Uh, you'll be entered for a chance to win a free copy of that essay collection. If you would like to support the show financially, there are a few different ways you can do that. You can buy a topic for us to discuss or just show your appreciation with a monetary donation by clicking the support link on our homepage or going directly to patreon.com slash protagonist. All supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films or talk about trailers for upcoming films. You can also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all your Amazon purchases. Just a reminder, it looks exactly, exactly like regular Amazon and costs you nothing more, but we get a small kickback from your purchase. Finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. But it did. And I we don't, don't know have that any new should, witty banter. I don't know that we should undo it. No, so, I, think, I think it's good to go. Well, we gotta, we've got to pull through. Okay. Today's podcast is brought <laughs> to you. We've got to pull through this. <laughs> plug, plug through this. <laughs> plow? Plow? Plow through this. Pull through. Pull through. Plug along. We're plugging along, plowing through this. And you're doing an ad read. And doing the slog, and I'm doing an ad read right now. And it starts like this. Today's podcast... (laughs) I thought I was going to keep that together. Uh, 